Somebody say teach. Hey, we're about to teach a sermon series that I think is going to rattle not just the city, but I think it's going to rattle the world. Um, I'm so excited. My name is Joshua Williams. I get to serve as the associate pastor here at Ambassadors Worship Center, um, but I'm co-leading underneath two amazing apostolic leaders in Drs. Martin and Linnell Williams. Uh, here at Ambassadors Worship Center, we believe that heart posture is what makes this happen. Um, it's not because we have the ability to do lights and the cameras and everything, but when people's hearts are correct, then Jesus can meet them. So this is what this whole sermon series is about. We're starting a new sermon series today, and we're starting week one. Can you say week one? I know, get yourself together, uh, but I think that what God has to say to you through the word today is important. So if you're ready for the word, clap once. Okay, here we go. Let's go to the word of God. This is going to be the anchor scripture for the sermon series. Can somebody say anchor? So as we are walking through, we don't know how long this sermon series is going to be, but this is going to be the passage of the Bible that we're going to be standing on firm. Is that all right? Everybody read with me. Matthew 28, 19. You can use your smartphone, your dumb phone, pen, and paper. Anybody got an Android? Don't, don't raise your hand. Here we go. Let's read. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. I didn't hear you. One more time. Therefore, go and make disciples of some nations. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Nations doing what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This scripture is so important that it was one of the last things that Jesus told his disciples before he ascended. One thing that you have to understand is that when you're in relationship with someone, how many of you guys remember the last words of somebody that passed away? How many of you were in the room? That, that is one of the most sweet amazing things. It's, it, it can be traumatic in the moment, but how many of you are glad that you were there? The final breaths and the final words of somebody that you love, you're able to hold on to those things. And before Jesus goes to the cross, he begins to talk to his disciples, letting them know that they're supposed to go into how many nations? Doing what? baptizing every single person that they meet in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The reason why this is important for those of you that are watching online, AWC Nation, I say good morning to you. The reason why this is important is because if we don't believe that everybody is deserving of the love of Jesus, then some people get missed out. And if people get missed out, and if we think that certain people don't deserve to hear from Christ, then guess what? That means that Jesus died for the wrong reason. But since Jesus died and since he is equipped, look at your neighbor, say me and you, it's our job to go. So here we go. This is sermon number one, week one of a sermon series that we're calling uh, uh, No Church in the Wild. But before I, I go into the sermon, can I explain to you what the wild is, right? So some people are like, what's the wild? Like you calling us animals? No, I'm, well, no, I'm not talking about you. But like, can, can I break it down for you? The wild by definition is a place or a region that is uninhabited, uncultivated, or inhospitable. I'm going to say that again. The wild is a place or a region that is uninhabited, uncultivated, unhospitable. Can you say it with me? The place or a region that is, can you say uninhabited, uncultivated, unhospitable. Let's break this down because every single one of us in our lives has a place in our life that is wild. Let's talk about it. Every person has a place in their life which is uninhabited. That means that it's a place where no one desires to be. If you are dealing with anxiety, I want you to let you know that that does not come from God. And that's a place where you shouldn't want to be. Okay. Uh, all of us have a place in our areas that's uncultivated. Can you say uncultivated? That means that it's a place where things just don't work out. 
If you've ever lived on earth and had breath in your body, you went through a season where it felt like you were trying stuff, trying stuff, didn't work. Trying stuff, trying stuff, didn't work. Switch it up. Trying stuff, trying stuff, didn't work. And then it can get to the point where what? You lose hope. The wild is also uh, 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 unhospitable. Can you say unhospitable? Some places in our lives lack what we need to grow. But sometimes it can feel like you can't go anywhere else. Ever been there before? It seems like God has given you a vision that you're going to go from point A to point B, but it seems like you ain't got none of the resources that he said you were supposed to have. You're supposed to go from here to there, and he says that you're supposed to be married by this time next year, but you haven't seen one man that you're attracted to. Amen. So this conversation of the wild is directly connected to Matthew, because if people are living their lives in a place that's just like hell, they're not afraid of the real one. Okay, y'all too saved. People aren't afraid of hell because some of them are living in hell on 12th and Grover right now. That's North Omaha. Some of them are living in hell on 56th and Benton. That's South Omaha. Some people, I don't know if you knew this, but some people are literally walking through fryer and brimstone in 14,000 square feet in Elkhorn. So... This conversation of going into the wild, going into all of these different worlds to preach the kingdom is so important. Look at your neighbor say, if you don't go, then who will? There's a difference between evangelism and an invitation. Evangelism goes into all the world and tells people about Jesus. But what we're called to do since we are ambassadors, can you say we're ambassadors? Our job isn't just to evangelize and go tell people about the good news. Our job is to tell them demonstrate it, and then bring them into a life where they can see it displayed. Christianity doesn't work if we don't allow people to get close enough to us to see how, God good, how, how good God is. God is a good God, but how many of you guys know that some people don't have the eyes to see his goodness in their life? That's why you have that certain friend where you have coffee with them. You're able to look at their situation from a different vantage point and give them hope. Because how many of you guys know that right now in this season, there are some hopeless people? How many of you, you're friends with them? Oh, you, let's not do that. Some of you, that is you. I don't got any hope, but your friend Stacy that calls you every Saturday at 7 o'clock, if Stacy wouldn't have called you yesterday, you might have done some stuff you didn't think you needed to do. Can we be honest? So this conversation of invitation, evangelism is all centered around community. And if we're going to do the kingdom correctly, we have to do this thing. Can you say share the gospel? So today, I'm going to jump into the book of Luke. But before I jump in, I don't know if you guys, I'm a, I'm, I love the Bible. I love the word of God. A couple of things that I've learned is this. If the Bible doesn't say anything, be quiet. The second thing that I've learned is don't try to fill the gaps of the word. Just flip the page. Because then what can happen is, it's just because I have on cool shoes and a yellow, this is, this is nice, isn't it, right? You can think that I'm dope, but if, it's, if what's coming out of my mouth isn't the truth, then I have to answer to God for the lies that I tell. So I'm just going to use the word of God today. Is that okay? All right. I want, you to, I want you to see Jesus and not see me. Is that cool? So when we look at the book of Luke, how many of you guys know who Luke is? Luke is one of the amazing apostles. He's, he's one of the 12 that Jesus called out, right? But there's this conversation um, regarding Luke uh, because each one, of the Bibles, uh, each one of the books of the Bible were written by Jews. Like we know for sure. But Luke, there's this like conversation in, 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 the, in, the, in the Christian world or in the Bible world of if he's a Jew or if he's a Gentile, because evidently that really matters. We can get so categorized that God can speak through people that we aren't expecting it and miss the word. Okay. We can say, well, he's a drunk on the street, but wasn't that the word of God? 
Well, she's seven years old. And, and, you know, black parents, I know all the, 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 the dark-skinned kids in the room, we go through trauma. Shut your mouth. Like, it's just like, but it's, it's the truth. Mom, the, the hot water's on. Be quiet. Okay, I guess the water bill going to be stupid this week, right? It doesn't matter whose mouth it's coming from. It matters whose heart it came from. So for centuries, people have been trying to use the book of Luke, discrediting Luke because they don't know for sure if he's a Jew or a Gentile. You do it in your life too. Somebody tries to give you sound reason, but she had a baby out of wedlock. Now you think that she should be thrown in the trash. Okay, y'all still too saved. I'm working on the right, I'm working on them, right, you know? Your uncle is a whole alcoholic, and he's telling you, don't touch this stuff. And you think you justify it because Paul Paul smokes or drinks. He, I can't hear from him. But sometimes wisdom comes from a vessel that we don't like. So we're going to look at this Bible verse, and, and I want you to bring your skepticism. We don't know if Luke is a Gentile or a Jew. But by the end of this sermon series, I'm, I'm, no, this sermon today, I ain't got that much time. By the end of this sermon, I'm going to prove to you that it doesn't matter where you come from or who you are. If God wants to use you to meet somebody, he'll do it with a fifth of scotch in your hand. <laughs> yeah. He'll do it while you're addicted on the drug, and he will use you in that moment to prove to people. It doesn't matter if you're black, white. Gentile, doesn't matter your sexual orientation, because this is the thing that God wants to know. I'm not worried about your sin. I want your heart. All that other stuff doesn't matter. I want, I want your heart. Amen. So looking at the book of Luke, after Jesus' death, Luke takes it upon himself to begin spreading the message of Jesus like wildfire. But there's a problem, because now after Jesus has died, all of the disciples, can you say, are under pressure. Long story short, everybody thought that Jesus was a liar. Jesus died, and now everybody's like, yeah, we don't like this. Evidently, everything that he said was true. Then they get to the point, like, wasn't there 12 guys that were walking with Jesus? And he was with them for three years. So maybe because they were with him, they're just as effective. So they start trying to find these men and kill them. So every single book of the Bible that you read at some point in time, the person that was writing it was writing it under pressure. I believe that we're going to walk into a season where the best things that you produce are going to be in areas where you don't have any resources. I believe some of the best things that you're going to do for your family that they're going to talk about for generations and generations and generations to come, you're doing it right now while you think it's not important. I honestly believe that you as a matriarch or a patriarch in your family that's making the decision, I'm not losing another son or daughter to addiction. I'm not losing another aunt or uncle to losing their mind. I believe that those things that you pray in your prayer closet where you think that nobody is listening, I believe that God is scribing that thing down and he's putting it in stone. And because of how you prayed, the rest of the generations in your family will be saved. Can I get an amen? amen? Look at your neighbor say, do it, it, say, it matters, it matters what you say. Look at your other neighbor say, it matters what you think. So Luke begins to write the book of Luke, trying to convince them that Jesus is Lord. Paul does this in Corinthians. Then you have Matthew, you have Mark, you have all these different books that were written by these great men and women of God because they're trying to plead to people, based on my story, you should trust God. That's all the Bible is. It's multiple people telling their accounts of a man named Jesus or how he walked into their life, trying to, can you say persuade? persuade? Persuade them to love God. But how many of you guys know that there's a thin line between persuasion and manipulation? We're not looking to manipulate you. Everything that you saw here is not like this witch's brew that we're like, oh, we're going to get them because we played a song in E minor. That's not how it works. 
The point of the matter is I'm trying to, we are trying to, all of us are trying to persuade the person in the room that doesn't know God based off of what he did in my life. Because I understand something. You can teach the Bible to me, and I love it, but to some people, the Bible is a saltine cracker. I got you. So how about I make my life the Bible and you can read my life? And you can see in Joshua chapter 1, he was addicted to some stuff and got set free. In Joshua chapter 2, I was prideful, but Jesus came and surrendered me. And in Joshua chapter 15, I'm going to have some kids, but I'm praying for it, right? Like, what if we began to live our lives as an open book and people could meet Christ through our experience? But this is the problem with the church. We're afraid to say hello. God is good, God is great. Well, why don't you go invite them to lunch? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know about that one. And we can miss out on God winning people's souls because we're too afraid to invite them. So when we look at the book of Luke, it's very important because Luke, let's, let's just assume, I don't know yet. Look at your neighbor and say, he doesn't know. This is his theory. All you Bible scholars on Instagram looking for something to be like, see, he doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm telling you now. This is just something I'm thinking. Let's just assume that, that, that Luke is, we don't know if he's Jew or Gentile. Let's just say he's a question mark. Everybody go like this. That means we don't know where he's from. We don't know who his mama is, where we from. You see people, you're like, you can to Jeffrey? No, then you know, like, you know. You can tell based off of people's, their nose structure and their head. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You can look at somebody and be like, yeah, I know you. I know your mama. Let's just assume we don't know who Luke is, okay? Somebody say amen. amen. Luke begins to write these books of the Bible to highlight Jesus' specific love for groups of people that are considered outcasts. The whole book of Luke is him begging and pleading people to love people that in the other chapters before they said that they could walk past. Let me prove it to you. People that are sinners, people that are non-Jews, those that lived wayward, or as we would like to say in, the, in 2021, alternative lifestyles. If you're not living in Christ, your life is alternative. <laughs> I love how we try to like relegate it to a certain group of people that we don't want to reach. But I'm wayward. We are all born in iniquity. It doesn't matter who you are, how saved you are. It doesn't matter how many times you pray. If you don't know Jesus, you are a sinner. Oh, y'all don't want to hear it. Like, I'm not a sinner. Yes, you are. We all are. Luke begins to compel people by asking them, the God that you serve, that you think only loves you, actually was a friend of sinners. Best friends with sinners. Every time you see Jesus in a, in a, in a church or in a building that's legal, like, that's legal what's he doing? That I man flipping tables, cursing people out. Not because the place is bad, but the people that are in it are not allowing people that are really broken to come in. Okay, let me get to the word. 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 Stories that, and when I say curse correctly, it's not like the curse words that we use. He would say like, woe unto you, which was like a really bad word there. Thank you. I cleared it up. Don't, I don't want to say it on Instagram. Here we go. The stories that we are talking about in this book are in, write these down. Luke 17, he talks about the 10 lepers. In Luke 15, he talks about the prodigal son. Everybody loves that story. I was wayward, but he found me. But if we really teach that story, it's tough. Then we have Luke 7, which Jesus meets a prostitute. It's a parable. Then we have Luke 19, which is Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Jesus didn't only come for those who knew him, but he desired to reveal himself to those that didn't. And Luke takes it upon himself to begin doing the hard work of the faith that nobody wants to do. Everybody wants to change their prayer life. Amen? Amen. Everybody wants a worship life. Amen? Amen. Everybody wants to join a small group because it's sexy and it's cool. This is the women's small group we meet with lattes. Ooh, sexy Instagram, right? But not many people want to have the inconvenience of chasing after the lost. 
Not everybody wants to meet people in their sin. They want them to be saved from their sin before they meet them with Jesus. I know you're dirty. Get cleaned up by yourself, which you don't know how to do. Then once you get right and you dress correctly, then I'll meet you and you can join a small group. Then you can meet the pastor. Then I can take you to lunch. But how many of you in your life, somebody came and got you in your mess? Somebody loved you enough. They didn't care about how you, they, they, they still too saved over here. Like, they, they didn't care about how you smelled. They didn't care how you looked. They didn't care how broken your marriage was. They said, listen, I was standing in your, in your wedding. Y'all said for richer or poorer and for death do you part. Are you dead? Uh-uh. Are you dead? Uh-uh. Then we got to work this out. Every person needs somebody in their life that loves the God on them, in them more than what's on them. Uh, I'm ready to teach. So let's ask this question. Look at your neighbor and say, why does Jesus teach in parables? There's three reasons why. Number one, it reveals. Jesus was hoping that through riddles, he could really make bold claims that revealed the truth to those that were open-minded. The reason why Jesus spoke in parables was because if you were listening, you would get what he was saying. We're living in a time right now where it's really, it, it, it's, it's, uh, it's very expensive. You pay a very high price for being bold. You pay a very high price for speaking what you believe is true. And it seems like the people that are speaking the loudest and revealing truth are the ignorant, that don't know what they're talking about, and it's not founded in truth. They're the type of people that say something outlandish and then put hashtag, know your facts. Ma'am, you... you you, if you did a quick Google search, you would realize that the reason why 75% of the nation is in poverty isn't because they chose to. Well, they should just pull themselves up by their bootstraps. What bootstraps? What, where, where do they get these bootstraps? Because they're not handing out jobs that actually feed mothers with three kids. They're, they're not handing those out in the Salvation Army. So, so exactly um, what facts are you talking about? And if the church was able to be in a position in culture we, we, where we could actually answer the questions without having to go to policy, what if people that were hungry, we could just feed them? What if people that didn't have clothing, we could just go take, and take care of them? Do you got, like, what if, like, instead of just sending women to a beaten and battered women's shelter, what if we had women here in the state that actually had the ministry of recovering women, teaching them the word of God, giving them jobs, and not putting them out there in the street for their attacker to come back and get them? Like, that's church. That this here is for you to be equipped to go out there. I feel a little bit different this morning. The second reason why Jesus spoke in parables was to conceal. The same riddles that were, op- that were, that were there for those that were open-minded were too difficult for those who opposed him to figure out. That's why the Gentiles and the Pharisees could never understand his parables, because they were so simple that they couldn't apply their laws to. They were told what to wear and what not to wear. So when you say that the kingdom of God is being like a child, they're like, I, I can't compute. Which means that the reason why we teach the word up here so practically and so plainly is so that you don't have to do any guesswork. We teach the word of what God wants from his heart to you, so you don't have to decipher, is that Josh? That sounds like Josh. Doesn't sound like God. Our job is to interpret God's heart to you. The third reason why Jesus spoke in parables was this, because it bought him time. As he spoke in parables, the people that were trying to kill him were trying to figure him out. But while they were trying to figure him out, the people that had open minds were being set free. I want you to write this down. 
the gospel isn't just yours to receive, but it's your responsibility to share. If you are walking in your Christendom and you have your Bible and your salvation, but you have never shared explicitly the love of Christ with someone else, you are still immature as a Christian. You have not grown up all the way. You are not grown up all the way. How many of you guys have children? You ever been in that awkward space where your child was too embarrassed to introduce you to someone? Why? It feels some type of way like I'm so good to you and you don't want to share. What if I told you that you sinning doesn't hurt God as much when you don't tell somebody about him? That hurts more. So I'm good enough to save you in private from your sin, but I'm not good enough for you to share publicly. So here we go. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Let's go to Luke 10, 25. Jesus is on his way. Remember how I talked about Jesus is always in transition. He's always moving. He's walking. He's not running. He's probably riding a snail because remember what we talked about? There's a pace of grace. Jesus understands that I'm on my way to the cross, but if I speed up to the cross, I might miss some things in between, right? That's why in that sermon, I wanted to make sure that each and every one of us in this room, that you live your life at a pace that your community can walk and see God's grace. My job isn't to change your heart towards Christ. My job is to make sure that you can get close to me enough to see God work in my life and hope that what you see him do in my life, you'll want it enough to have it in yours. Does that make sense? Very practical. Amen. Here we go. One day, an expert in religion. A what? An expert. Meaning that he thinks that he knows everything. I remember I was talking to one of my mentors, and I said, man, you taught me everything that I know. And he says, but I haven't taught you everything I know. We be trying to, like, tell God things that he created. Well, God, you said, I know I was there when it was written. So, like, let's, let's not test God, okay? Rule number one. That's not my notes, but just don't test him. He, he already knows. You know what I'm saying? Okay. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to do what? To test Jesus by asking him this question. Read it with me. Teacher, what should I do to what? Inherit eternal life. The funny thing about Jesus is that he always responds to your question with a question. Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? And he says, what? How do you read it? Basically meaning sometimes the reason why you're stunted in your relationship with Christ is because of your interpretation of the word. It's not because God isn't good. It's not because that God has changed. It's just that we don't have the knowledge enough to fill the gap of what the mysteries of the Bible are. So Jesus at this point is trying to expose his ignorance in front of people without embarrassing him. Basically, like when you try to spell things out to your child that can't spell, like we're going to go get C-O-O-K-I-E-S's. You know what I'm saying? And you think that they don't know, but they be in their head like, we're going to get some cookies. Go, okay, 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 okay. So the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbors as yourself. I really believe that he said it pompous. I think he was trying to prove to everybody that he knew it. So this is how I think he said it. The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul and your strength and your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. And he's like bumping his friends like, I know what I'm talking about. Look what Jesus says. Look what Jesus says. Right. Do that. Do this and you will live. But then look at the man's next question. He says the man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, so who's my neighbor? I want you to write down this point right quick. Um, before we catch them, he has to catch your heart. That's, I, I know that everybody's like, go to the wild and Matthew 28, like, we're going to go and make disciples. Yeah, but if you're a jacked up human being, I don't want, we don't want you meeting people that are just as broken. Look at your neighbor. We say, we got to fix your heart. We got to fix your heart before you go. The man's motivation was not pure. 
It was only to test Jesus' knowledge of the law. He wasn't looking to get an answer for himself. He was looking to try to prove Jesus wrong. The man asks this question to streamline his efforts. These are the two questions that he's really asking. Who should I give my special attention to and who should I ignore? That's why he's asking who my neighbor is. He's not asking so he can identify who to talk to. He's trying to figure out how do I streamline my efforts and my energy so I can get to heaven. So if you tell me who not to talk to, I'm not going to. But write this down. Jesus always allows us the opportunity to find ourselves in the story. So Jesus, instead of replying to his ignorance, tells him a story. Let's jump back into the word. Luke 10, 30. It says, Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And he was attacked by who? Bandits. Scary guys. Lone Ranger. You know, Tonto, Kimasabi. Lone... Okay, never mind. Guess I'm... They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him up and left him half dead beside the road. Verse 31. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, what did he do? He used extra energy to cross to the other side of the road and passed him by. A man of God, a woman of God. Like this person just came back from leading Bible study, but now this person stinks on the side of the road, so I'm going to use the energy that I had to lead them. I'm going to pass this person by. It's getting good, isn't it? It's like a telenovela, which is a Spanish soap opera. It's like really good, right? A temple assistant. Can somebody say a Levite? Levite, somebody that was called to the house of God. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, meaning that they didn't just use their energy to go out the way. They used their energy to cross over to look at him there. And then what did they do? What did they do? Passed him by. I want you to write this point down. Helping others begins with your heart posture towards them. You can't help somebody that you don't love. It's impossible. Because if you don't love them and you try to help them, that's manipulation. That's why, like, sometimes you get a Christmas gift from somebody and you can tell, like, this person doesn't love me. They just gave me this big gift to prove to everybody else that they think they're better than I am. Look at your neighbor and say, heart posture matters. Heart posture matters. I want you to write down these three things because they're very important. It says that the man that was on the ground, it says that he was stripped, he was beaten, and he was left. Now, I want to ask you a very, very, it's just rhetorical, but I'd like for you to answer. How many of you have ever been stripped, beaten, and left? Oh, just three people? Oh, just four people. Okay. Let's talk about it. Stripped meaning that your morality and your humanity was stripped from you. You were in a certain meeting, and you came up with a business proposal, and somebody else took credit, and you were embarrassed. You were stripped. Somebody lied about you in these streets. You know what I'm talking about? All your laundry out there. And then you realize this ain't even my laundry, but people think it is. I don't even wear a triple X, but I guess that's what they believe. Stripped. How about beaten? Which basically means that you as, your, as a person have been abused to the point where pain doesn't hurt anymore. Let's talk about that. People think that abuse, that people are okay sitting in abuse because like, oh, they just like the pain. No, sometimes you can be so abused you don't even feel it anymore. The words that they say, the shoe that they throw at you, it's just like, I've, I've been here before. And then what can happen is that that abuse you can mistake for love. And we can sit in the church and we can say, I can't believe that they would stay. No, you don't, you, all you know is the tender love of God. But some people have this thing, can you say tough love? 
but Jesus is the great restorer of everything, right? So, so we have stripped, we have beaten. Somebody say a left. Literally being abandoned. It's not enough that, you were, that you're naked. It's not enough that you're bleeding all over the place and you can't feel pain. Now, even if you wanted to reach out for help, there's nobody there. That's what we're talking about, y'all, when we say hopeless. This conversation about anxiety and depression in the house of God is serious. There are some things that people need community for, and prayer can fix, but it has to be aided with a warm body there. I want you to literally close your eyes and think about a time where you were stripped. You were by yourself. You were naked. You were abused, meaning if somebody were to come and hurt you, you're already like, it doesn't matter. I'll sleep with anybody. My heart was broken seven years ago. It doesn't matter. I'm already broken. And now, now that you know that you need something better for your life, now that you know that there's something better, now that you know if you gain in community, now if you know for the pastor set up here, if you go to the people here at the church and you ask them to go to lunch or you ask to have a conversation with you, they'll be nice. And you sit in the purple seat, you're stripped, you're abandoned, and you walk through these hallways, you say hello to somebody, and you're surrounded by people, but nobody cares enough to say hi. How, doesn't matter what we preach from up here if it's not tangible out there. I know that this isn't a sermon that you want to shout at, but Jesus made it very, very clear. The kingdom isn't built by stages and lights. The kingdom is built in Matthew 8, 28, 19. When we go into every single relationship, every single family, every single boardroom, every single office, and we share with them the reason why I keep getting promotions isn't because I'm smart. It's because I know a man named Jesus. The reason because the reason my life and my family is where it's at isn't because my husband's sexy and my wife is cute, even though she is. It's because we know this man named Jesus. Let me introduce you. Some of the best jobs that you have, some of you who are married to the best person of your life and you didn't even know them, somebody did what? They introduced you. So why wouldn't we introduce people to the one thing that can save their lives? Somebody say stripped, beaten, left. Both of these people use their effort and energy to avoid the issue. Now, I want to break this down because there's two different people. Somebody say priest. Somebody say Levite. The priests are those people who are self-centered. They ask questions like this. Uh, I thought it would cost too much to help someone in need, so I didn't. Uh, they say certain things like, if I help you, I'll become unclean. Remember at this point in time, priests, they had to stay holy. Pastor Martin made that very, very clear. At this time, they had these really, at the time, it made sense. I don't want you to think, like, wow, that's crazy. It's crazy now, right? Like, you know what I'm saying? Okay. Um, but uh, they would literally, if they saw a dead body or came against something unclean, they would stop where they are, go back home, and wash up. So the priest thought that this person saving their life is not as good as my clean clothes. Okay. Help me, Holy Spirit. This person says, I see that you're hurting, but helping you is going to cost me a price I don't want to pay. Okay. The next person was the Levite. Say Levite. Levites are those that intentionally look for a reason not to help. They find you. They're like, yeah, right with grace. Yeah, okay. Yeah, oh, she has a baby out of wedlock. Can't help her. Yeah, okay, awesome, great. Oh, he doesn't have a college education. Can't help you. Really? So somebody deciding to go to school and not go to school is a reason why they don't have God's grace? By the way, how do you know that they're not working six jobs to put everybody else together that they don't have time. How do you know that they're not in class right now from 2 o'clock in the morning to 6 o'clock? Look at your neighbor and say, you have no idea who you're sitting next to. 
The cure for cancer is in this room. The cure for homeless and children that are treated outside of reason is in this room. But you wouldn't even know. Because as soon as we say, God bless y'all, you go to the house. What if we were to commune and begin to talk to one another? The answer that you try to get in therapy might be in a family here that you can go and watch. Okay, let me, let me get back. Levites are those that were intentionally looking for a reason not to help you. Get close enough to find your flaw to justify not getting involved with someone else. People that get in relationship with you and then they try to find something and then they break their heart and they leave. The funny thing about this story is that the two people who, who should be, look at your neighbor, say justified, in explaining Jesus to this man are the two people that walk past him. How many of you have ever been there before? You had somebody in your life, your finances are jacked, are jacked up. What's your credit score? Let's not talk about it. And you had that person like, hey, if you need anything, call me. 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 Hello, I ain't got the time, but you said to call you. Hey, bro, I'm really struggling, bro. Every time I walk past my computer or like, bro, every time I walk past this bottle, like, is it okay if I call you? Yeah, bro. Yeah, bro, call me whenever. Yeah, bro. I'll be your prayer partner, bro. Yeah. <laughs> hello? Hey, bro, I'm at coffee. I, uh, okay. Hey, hello? Man, I was in the middle of a nap. What you need? And we can begin to think that people have fallen away from God. We just didn't meet them to invite them into the space. Write this down. Isn't it interesting that those who claim to be the most connected to God are sometimes the first to disconnect from those needing God the most? I've been there. I'll be totally open, honest, and vulnerable that I didn't talk to a friend of mine in high school. And one of my best friends, high school friend, Sean, is in the room. There was a young man in our school that was in our science class that I was too afraid to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with, and he didn't make it to school the next week. And I've had to walk with this for the rest of my life. And now I'm looking at this point like, God, anytime there's an opportunity for me to share who you are, I will never be too embarrassed. Because you, Jesus is the antidote, but I might need to be the mouthpiece. Somebody needs to say that. Say, I might be the mouthpiece. I, I, might, I might be the one that, Je like, Jesus isn't going to come to earth and reveal himself. I'm here. It might have to come through. Hey, sis, you ain't got to go through this no more. Hey, bro, that ain't it, dog. Like, like come and see a man that is in my life. Somebody say amen. Here we go. Let's go to the 33rd verse. Is this good? Then a despised Samaritan. Somebody say despised. A despised Samaritan came along, and when, what did he do? He saw the man. He felt what? Compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on whose donkey? His donkey, and took him to an inn. Where? What? He took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper what? Two silver coins telling him, do what? Take care of this man. Underline this in your Bible, please. If this bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. If you read 2 Kings 17, and like seven, uh, the 7 through the 41st verse, we see that the people of God are disobeying God. And you know the whole cycle, right? They follow Christ. They fall away from Christ. Somebody comes and conquers them. Then they find a good person. Yay, we love God again. And then it's like, no, God's not good. So then they keep going through like this cycle. The, 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 the Jews are going through this cycle. The Israelites are going through this cycle. And God allows for people that are foreign, say foreign, to come into their space and take them over. But instead of the Jews learning their lesson, they cohabitate. There are some things in your life that have invaded that you shouldn't be friends with. 
Anxiety might have walked into your house, and now you'll say things like, my anxiety. No, 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 oh, no, 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 no. It's not mine. Because once you claim it, the word of God says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Basically meaning that the minute that you claim it with your mouth, God gives you access to it. So we don't say that kind of stuff. A girl, my arthritis. That ain't your arthritis. Who told you? Girl, my, my headache. Girl, my, my headache. My he no, ma'am. No, this headache that I am deciding to suffer through, it's not mine. I say things like my money, my, my opportunities, my friends. I say things that are, I claim things that I want, not tr things that I'm suffering in. Somebody say amen. amen. The importance of this is because this Samaritan that is coming is half Jew and half Assyrian. He's half loving God in covenant, but then he's half of the foreigners that came in and took over the Jews. So the reason why he's despised is because people in the community can't claim them. The Jews can't say you're mine, and the Assyrians can't say that you're mine. It's like you're stuck in the middle. Anybody ever been there before? I remember growing up in high school, I, I was too black to be with the white kids, but I wasn't black enough to be with the black kids. So I'm just like, I don't know what to do. I don't sag my pants. I started listening to Tupac when I was 18. Like, I like going to church. Well, hey, bro, you can't kick with us. All right, brother. So then I go over here where they wear Sperry's. You know, they wear Sperry's with Nike socks. I still don't understand that, but that's a thing. Anyway. Hey, Colton, what's up? Hey, bro. Yeah, yeah, you can't hang out with us. So then I'm just stuck, like, because I go to a church where it looks like heaven. Okay. I'm, I'm 12 in a church where a white man married a black woman and then not just took their kids but adopted the kids to naturalize them. Like, I'm not your stepdad, I'm your father, right? Okay. I saw a, a, a man over here that lost his wife um, and, and, like, prayed her through, but she died to cancer, and then he adopted three or four other kids that come from other nations. So, like, in the church, I got to see the example of what I wanted to see out there. But what I found out was that when I got out into the world, the world doesn't want the world to look like heaven. They want it to be, look at the room. Where... Look at the room. Where else in the city do you have salt and pepper? Look, look. Y'all look like a real good Louisiana rub right now, bro. You everything. Paprika. Yes, sir. Paprika, turmeric. Okay. Yummy crab. Yummy crab. Yummy crab. God wants to make gumbo. God, God wants the church... Not to, God doesn't want the church to look like the world. He wants the world to look like the church where we can sing in Spanish. And you're learning Spanish now better than you did in Spanish 1 your freshman year at Elkhorn. Look at your neighbor and say, look like heaven. So a man that's not supposed to help him ends up helping him. Write this down. The star of this parable is someone who is despised for who they are, but they're still willing to help. I think God is looking for a person that's okay with being thrown in the trash if it means that they can save somebody else's soul. I think it's time for us to be some Christians that are willing to put our reputation on the line to preach the good news. I don't care what they say about me. He's broken. Oh, so now you're one of those Christians? I am. You love people that are, that, that are living alternative lifestyles and drinking and smoking? I do. Because if you looked back at my story long ago, I was the same person. And if you look at my life right now, because, it's only because of his righteousness I'm not, not thing, because the, the feeling's still there. Why do we believe that when we get delivered and set free that the addiction goes away too? Sometime, some of y'all in this room, the only thing that's keeping you from doing the thing that had you bound is the grace of God. 
Oh, y'all want a cat. No, I was set free. No, you weren't, sir. You still got to be like, man, you know your drink order right now as you drive past the bar. But it's God's grace that keeps you. If we start to teach a gospel that's more practical and less theological, more people will come to meet God. It's not about giving up your addiction. It's about loving God more than what you're addicted to. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm in another sermon. I'm in another sermon. I'm in another sermon. I'm in another sermon. Somebody say move on. Okay, so I'm going to move on. I'm going to skip all that. I'll teach that on Wednesday. Skip all that. I'll, te I'll teach that on Wednesday. Skip all I'll teach that on Wednesday. Okay, what will happen? Okay, the Samaritan asks this question. Let me go back. The religious man asks this question. He asks, what's going to happen to me if I help him? This road is literally, when you look at it in the Greek, it's called the spineless road. So muggers and bandits would, like, it was the quickest way to get from one point to the next point. So, like, they would sit there and, like, try to jack people, right? So, uh, so the priest is probably like, man, this is a bad part of town. Love you, dog. I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. I'll pray. I'll pray. But we got to get up out of here. Right? The religious man asks a question. He says, the religious man asks a question, help me, Holy Spirit. The religious man asks a question of what he should do. But the Samaritan asks a question of what can I do? Sometimes it's not about what you should do, but it's what do you have the ability to do? The Samaritan asks this question. He says, well, what's going to happen to the man if I don't help him? How many of you have ever been in that place where you felt like you were too dirty to be helped? We've all been there. People were too saved to help you. Like, but wait a minute. Like, you're trying to get me to love the God that you love, but you can't love me? Why would I want to love your God? I'm too deep down in my stuff for you to love me? But you used to drink with us, bro. So, like, what, now that you've been saved, you're different than us? The reason why you're in that group of friends, the reason why you're in that group of, like, girlfriends, guy friends, the homies, when you got saved, the point wasn't just to come join a serve team and go to a small group. That's dope. The point was for you to fulfill Matthew 28 and to go into the wild parts of your life where your friends are still in the darkness. What's the point of having light if you don't ever take it to the dark? Point number four, write this down, please. You are not the Samaritan or the priest or the Levite. What did I say? You are not the Samaritan. You are not the priest and you are not the Levite. Let me prove it to you. When we look at verse 33, it says that the despised Samaritan did a couple of things, right? I want you to write these down. It says that he saw the man, which means that he didn't ignore him. There are some situations in your life that you see on the news that make you cry and you weep. That's God. When you see depression and you weep and you, you how many of you guys ever look at issues and become angry? Almost like hysterical. Why isn't anybody fixing this? That's God. When you see hungry children and you get frustrated, it's just like that, that, that's, that's, that's God. Look at your neighbor and say, that's God. When you see somebody struggling to get a, a good paying job, when you see somebody struggling with a mental disease, like, and it frustrates you, that's the love of Christ. But we will begin to think that the love of Christ is just hugging people and giving them a sticker and a high five. No. What if the love of God came through the view of what you hate? You hate going to Thanksgiving? I can't stand my family. That's the love of God too. Hey, let's just like go on a trip so we ain't got to do Christmas with the family. What if you are the only person with the light to go into your family to bring them out of darkness? 
So now you're forfeiting your family's freedom because you're uncomfortable? But we're kingdom citizens. We're ambassadors. Look at your neighbor. Say, you were built for uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> you were built for uncomfortable. <clears throat> that feeling that you're trying to run away from. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is funny. This is it's funny to me. Somebody should do something about the homeless. <laughs> <laughs> All these single moms should be able to have resources. Oh, maybe you're the resource. No, no, God could never use me. That's the reason why your vision is always bigger than what you can supply. Because it always makes you lean on God. If you could supply the need, you would do what you're doing now. You would drive by. Everybody has a dollar and 15 cent in their glove compartment when you stop at the stop sign and the person's there begging. But what we will do, we'll justify. We'll look at his shoes. His shoes are clean. Therefore, he hasn't been here, out here long enough. But what if I told you that some of the people that lead your small groups, some of the people that are in their children's ministries right now, used to be homeless? Well, the people in this room that you think work a nine to five, it's great. But from 5 p.m., to 9 p.m., they're out here in these streets literally feeding the hungry. Look at your neighbor and say, you have no idea who you're sitting next to. Like you have no idea. What you need might be in the room. I want you to write this down. The care others need may come at an inconvenience to you. What somebody may need may have to come out of your budget. This person asked me to go to lunch, but it's in our budget that we can't go out to eat unless twice a month. Really? So you're going to allow the budget? This person doesn't want to eat food. They want to eat from your life. He saw him. He felt compassion for him. He went over to him. He soothed his wounds. Isn't it interesting that before he gave him Jesus, he gave him health? That's countercultural. No, it's not. It's the word. Every time Jesus met somebody, before he's decided to ask them if they wanted deliverance, he just says, walk upon people. I'm like, no, he, like, do you desire to be delivered? He didn't just ask them that. If they were hungry, he fed them. If we as Christians get to the point where we're too saved to hang out with our unsaved friends, we'll lose. You just met Christ and now you can't even play Xbox with them? Well, you know the, the devil going to come through the microphone. Are you kidding me? You think God is that weak that now that you're in him, he can't save you the same way that he did when you weren't with him? Like, you're in a new covenant now. Like, the reason why you have been saved is to be sent back into the stuff that you were trying to get away from. Somebody say amen. amen. Despised Samaritan, saw the man, felt compassion for him, uh, uh, and then he put the man on his own, on, on his own donkey. On, on, on his own donkey. I want you to write this down, and then we're going to get out of here. What kind of a position must you be in to help someone? To clean them, transport them, pay their debt, and walk away. This is the reason why we're not the Samaritan. Because the man didn't only clean the man and help him and transport him. He paid his debt and didn't go and ask him for a refund. Oh, y'all going to sit in here quiet. You know it. You won't let nobody get a dollar coffee out of you without, hey, where my dollar at, bro? 
We're greedy as people. All of us are. Even if you're not greedy, it's still in us. The reason why we're not the Samaritan is because the Samaritan had the ability to pay the debt of the man. Look at your neighbor and say, the Samaritan is Jesus. You're not the Samaritan. I've heard this sermon taught so many. What's your name? Caleb? Galen. What's good, Galen? I've, I've heard this. Oh, that's Galen too. Jalen. Oh, Jalen. Jalen, Galen. I'm so sorry. I, anyway, so Jalen, bro, um, I've heard this sermon taught so many different times. And people would try to say, you're the Samaritan. And like, go out there and do all these great things. But last time I checked, do you want to die for anybody's sins in here? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Anybody else want to volunteer their life? Come on. Don't you? Nobody? Let me see online. Anybody that's online? Let me, let me check Facebook. Y'all want to, you want to give? No. The other thing is this, is that even if you wanted to, you dying wouldn't pay the price. Do y'all, do y'all feel me? That's a tough one. Like, even if you wanted to lay down your life to get your family out of the hole, it wouldn't, it wouldn't do anything. Because God is the only lamb without spot. Mm. God, Jesus was the only sacrifice that had no blemish, that was without sin. Je, Jesus was the only person that walked into my life when I was stripped, abused, and left and didn't walk past me. Okay, all right. There are some people that have the um, testimony of walking through life with a companion and a prayer partner, okay? But there are some of us who were too stubborn to take that because I grew up in church, and I, had to, I didn't find God on my own, but I found God because I abandoned myself. Yeah. And I started to realize that a lot of the stuff that I was trying to kill myself for, he already paid the price for. Glory to God. He paid the price for the abuse that I went through. Okay. Okay. My abuse is different. I've never been in like anything extraneous. I've never had to like run for my life at that level. But everybody in their life is running for something. Glory to, okay, let me move on. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Excuse me. Thank you for saving me, Lord. Wow, what's happening? Wow. Thank you for not passing me by. God, I thank you. I I didn't smell bad enough for you to pass me by. Because you would think because I'm up here that I deserve to be up here. There was some stuff that God carried me through privately. There's some stuff that my parents will take to their grave because they love me. That they won't expose to you because they know that the call on my life mirrors the call in their life. For some of you, you're living in a place where people told you they wouldn't tell anybody and they told everyone. And you know that they told because the only details that they're sharing are the details that you told them. I didn't tell anybody else that. Everybody else knew I lost the house, but they didn't know it went up in smoke. Like, why, like why, where's my story out here? And I want you to see it. I want you to see the man that's laying there. And people are passing him. 
And it's like all of us. We ask that question. Like, you don't, you, you don't see my legs are broken. Well, get up and pull yourself up by your bootstraps. They stole them. They stole my boots. Well, you're in that position. You could be the mom and the dad, but some women don't want to be. Some women want, some women want to be cared for. They don't want to be the mother and the father. Well, she should just pull it all together. But, like, bro, like, the first thing you're going to do is tell them what they should do. Like, like, why don't we clean up the blood first? Why don't we feed them? I went to an event in the park once at this one church. They turned people away from getting a hot dog and a burger because they weren't a partner of the church. And uh, I got sick. Um, glory to God. What is happening? Okay, I got sick to my stomach because since 1993, we've been taught. That if somebody doesn't have shoes, and I do, it doesn't matter if they're worth $670, unless you give them shoes. And if they're gay, but they're cold, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to give them the shirt off my back. That's, that's what I've been taught. But Josh, you look crazy, but at least they're warm. Are you going to invite them to a small group? No. Maybe I'll see them again, and they'll remember that I gave them the jacket. And they won't see Joshua, but they'll see God. Maybe you are looking out for me. Let me get back to my word. I'm going to teach the rest like this, because if this bothers you, this is what we're going to be doing for the next four weeks. Some of us are going to look crazy, but at least we're going to have a group of people standing behind us that now know Jesus because of my inconvenience. <laughs> Glory to God. Actually, this is mad uncomfortable, so I'm going to do that. Is this helping somebody? The Samaritan had three things. He had perspective, he had compassion, and he was selfless. Perspective is having or showing sensitive insight. The reason why it bothers you, why your girlfriend keeps going to the abusive relationship is because you care. That's why. Look at your neighbor say, you care. The reason why you can't throw away your friend that keeps relapsing even though he goes to AA every six months is because you care. For God so cared about the world that he gave his only begotten son, even knowing that some of us would never accept him. Have you, think about that. Like, let's think about that objectively. I'm going to send my son to save some people that I know are going to spit in my face. But you know what? If there's still a chance. He had compassion, which means that he put himself in the person's shoes. He asked a question of, if I was him, what would I want? Christians, we get so chased. We, we chase this prosperity gospel so tough, man. Like, we want you to have your house. But why would you have a house if you're not doing a Christmas party? We want you to have the car with eight seats, but if you can't bring one of your brothers to church on Sunday, then what's the point of having six, six empty seats? You're paying for the gas already. What's the point of being a great mother and father with great kids if you don't allow your kids to have sleepovers with other kids that don't have peace in their home? 
The reason why little Johnny wants to spend the night at your house all the time is because there's peace at your crib, bro. Mommy doesn't have to run for her life in the back room and, and, and his sister isn't crying because she hasn't, he hasn't been able to eat. What if the friend that comes to spend the night all the time that you're asking, man, he always want to spend over here. Maybe the only meal he's had in the week is at your house. If this is the only place where people can meet God, we'll never reach the world. If you have to come here, we can't even, the fire marshal won't even let us have a, a, the gang of people in here, just in case there's a fire. It's, it's weird stuff. Because it, I'm thinking, like, if we stand shoulder to shoulder, we could easily get, like, 4,000 people in here. No. What's the point of having 10,000 square feet in the house if every room isn't filled with love, joy, peace, dominion, and power? And guess what? They don't have to be related to you. I declare that moving forward, every single table that you're at that has an open seat, just invite somebody to sit. Well, they smell funny. You did too. And to a person that smells, a person that smells clean smells too. Okay, let me, let me, let me get back. He, was he had perspective. He had compassion. But he was also selfless. Somebody say selfless. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. He was willing to be inconvenienced. And when the price was put on the table, he left more than what was needed. He didn't just pay the man's debt. He left him something to live on. Listen, those of you that are watching online, those of you in the room, there's going to be an opportunity for you to give your heart to Christ, which is great. But that's not the most important thing that will happen today. The most important thing that will happen today is for you to do this. And this is my last point. Can somebody say, go and do the same? My question to you is, if your help wasn't able to be displayed on Facebook, would you still care? If you weren't able to tweet your efforts, would you still share? Um, if you never got recognized as the one who helped the person, would you still help them? Uh, if you know being there for them meant that your heart would be broken, but they would be free, would you go out? It's, it's just this question because we live in such a microwave-like community that now people only post the parts of their life that they want you to see. But what if we join people in the parts of life that they want nobody to see and we love them in it? It's like seeing somebody in quicksand and yelling at them to come out. Come out in Jesus' name. It's like, bro, like, help me? Then tell me about Jesus. I feel this spirit so strong. I apologize on behalf of every person in the room where your pain was met with abuse from the church. Whoa. Where you came to elders in the church. Wow. And you bore your soul. And you were chastised because of the sin and nobody loved you. Where they looked at the life that you were living and they didn't care enough just to hear where your heart was coming from. Where something happened in the church and they defended the person and nobody cared to defend you. Because you hadn't been there long enough. I apologize on behalf of all those people. But I'd like to introduce you to a man named Jesus. You're not going to ask them to be set free from addiction? We'll get there if they stay long enough. We just got to get them to stay. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you about the second course if the bread is trash. You know it. You go to restaurants and eat the bread, and you're like, yeah, they can't do biscuits right. 
There ain't no way they're going to do no chicken. Chicken parmesan? Chicken parmesan? They can't even do bread, yeast, and water? No, indeed. Mm -mm. Somebody say, go and do the same. The point of our existence isn't to be like the Samaritan. It's not to be like the Levite. And it's not to be like the priest. Our point is to be like Jesus. We fulfill God's purpose by exemplifying who Jesus is. Verse 36, Jesus tells this entire story. He tells this entire story. And remember the man in the beginning, the religious man? While Jesus is telling the story, I see the religious man beginning to realize how broken he was. In the beginning of the story, he started out with, a, who's my neighbor trying to figure out who, who should I talk to and who shouldn't I? And listen to this, verse 36, glory to God. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. And the man, remember the religious man, he, asked, he says, the one who showed him mercy. Some of you that were, um, you asked somebody to meet you in their mess and they didn't give you mercy, they gave you more mess. They came to your problem and you asked for power and they brought more pain. Uh, you were in a hole and you thought that they were gonna bring like this holy fire and they brought hell. But the man now realizes that maybe if I'm just merciful, maybe if I just love them when I meet them, I ain't gotta buy them no lunch, I ain't gotta give them no shoes, by the way, I need that shoe back. <clears throat> Maybe I don't got to buy them anything. Maybe if I'm just a good person. Maybe, maybe if I'm just nice. Maybe on the days where people are dancing on my last nerve, I just let them know before I snap on them. Because we try to justify, oh my God, get out of my face. You knew you were upset when you woke up at six o'clock and started flossing your teeth. That funky part in the back of your tooth, you went like this and said, it's going to be a bad day today. <laughs> it's going to be a bad day. I'm calling in sick. <laughs> Amen. I don't, I don't condone. I don't condone calling in. No, I'm kidding. Thank you, Holy Spirit. The one who showed him mercy, then Jesus said what? Yeah. Now do what? Go and do the same. That's the title of my message today. Before we send you out, we got, we got to work on your heart. So this is what I'd like for you to do. This sermon series, I think, is so powerful because I think that um, I'm very hopeful for this church. I lose sleep over this church, not because, like, I'm in anxiety, pain, or depression, because I just can't sleep. Like, these sermons, like, I literally lose sleep over because I love y'all so much. And um, I wish that every single person would be able to work with somebody or along somebody that loves you enough to lose sleep over you. And I hope it matters when they tell you, you know what I mean? Um, but the sermon series, I think, is very important because my, my, my best friend is here. His name is Sean. Uh, when we moved from 52nd Street to 148th Street, it was a culture shock for me. And I'm a little brown boy sitting at a table. And um, this short white kid with red hair came and started to uh, share the gospel with me. And I know Jesus. I'm in the fourth grade. Like, bro, get up off me. I know about Jesus. My dad's a pastor. Stupid. And he's been my best friend for like the past, like what, 20, 21, 
22 years. And it was because he, he mentioned something to me later on that when he saw me, he didn't say what most white people say and hear my heart. He said, when I saw you, I saw that you were black. You know, I don't see color, then you miss me. I am black. There's a lot that comes with this skin that you don't understand. But then he sat with me, this is fourth grade, Marvin. He says, but can you, I'd like to know who you are. You're one of the strongest relationships I've ever had in my life. And I wouldn't be able to do this had you not went and did the same. So if me having a, a, a short little pudgy white friend, we were everybody was pudgy in the fourth grade. Let's not cap. We were pudgy. We were fat kids, man. We would walk down to Baker's and just come back. Oh, we would go to uh, Little Caesars and have boxes of pizza. They were $5, just couldn't see over the boxes. Like, we're going to kill these boxes of pizza. <laughs> um, but because these are the four things that, that he did, but these are the four things that Jesus did. I want you to write these down. This sermon series is going to build AWC, not because I'm a good teacher, not because they are great apostles, but they are. AWC is going to grow in this next season. Guess why? Because the people that you love, I believe that you're going to bring them here. Not because of this, but because of this. Every single one of you has a mom that you've been praying for for your entire life. That her life would be better if she was sitting next to you on a Sunday morning. You have a best friend that you're trying to help out. But what if this was the environment? These are the four things that he did. I want you to write these down. I'm going to challenge each and every one of you in this room. We're going to the wild, but I challenge you to go and do the same. And this is what I mean. Number one. Somebody say, see them. Acknowledge that there are people around you who just want to be seen. They don't want to be saved. They may not even be ready to hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ. They just want you to hear that life is tough for them. That's it. But bro, he's an alcoholic. Who cares? Just listen. If anything is going to cost you an hour. Somebody say, see them. Number two, say, go to them. There are some people that are not going to come to you. You need to text them. You need to call them or you need to pull up. Somebody in this room, you have a friend that's in depression and you think that texting them a, uh, uh, your scripture of the day is enough. No, you need to pull up on her at the apartment. Hey, sis, you all right? Girl, don't you have work? It's not as important as this. I can find a new job, but I can't get another friend. Man, okay, move on. Somebody said, go to them. Number three, say, address their issue. This is what it is. Write it down. Hey, bro, I know life is really tough for you right now. How can I help? And listen. Bro, I know you're addicted. Bro, I don't want to hear about no prayer. I don't, I'm not here to pray for you right now. Just, I know that you're hurting. I ain't hurting. Yes, you are. Because some people in our lives, they just want to meet somebody that's soft not somebody that's trying to change them the minute they meet them. Because remember, God changed you at the pace that you were ready. God endured a lot of, God, if you get me out of this one, prayers from your boy. God, if you get me out of this one. I know I just prayed this prayer six minutes ago. <laughs> but if you get me out of this one, I promise. And he never questioned my heart prostrate because I was desperate every time. There are people in your lives that are so desperate right now that they just need you to show up. Hey, bro, just thinking about you. 
you know Jesus loves you. Man, get on with all that cuz. Hey man, I just want to let you know. Click. Last one. Bear the inconvenience. See them, go to them, address their issue, and invite to fill the need. Well, I don't want to invite them to church, bro, because I'm going to have to give them a ride. Yeah. What if the person that you question asking to come to church said yes and all they needed was a ride? Like you didn't have to work with them. You didn't have to like pull it out of them to come to church. And they said, hey, you want to come to church? Yeah. Can you pick me up? What if that was all that was keeping them from the place of grace? Was a ride in your car that God blessed you with. What if the inconvenience was staying up with them on the phone while they cry? They ain't saying nothing. Glory to God. They're not saying anything. They're not even making any sense, but you're on the other end of the phone. You mute them and you start speaking in tongues, covering them while they're going through. What if it was your, your girlfriend that has the two, three kids and like she just can't do it right now. Like I, I can't be a mom, I can't be a wife, and I can't be your friend right now. Can you come and get these kids? And you just took the three kids for the weekend and you just told her, hey, just, just be. Huh. What if you're serving in a church and the pastor came to you and said, hey, bro, I love your soul more than your ability to sing. You need to sit down. But if I don't sing, who's going to? There's a plethora of YouTube videos. What's the point you're trying to make, Pastor Joshua? This is it. This is it. AWC is strong because our pastors didn't invite every person here. Our organization is strong because they used the grace on their life to invite who they knew. And then those people's lives were changed. Then guess what? They invited the people that they knew. And then guess what? Their lives were changed. We need to start inviting people after God changes us. This is what it is. There are many of you that are watching today and that are sitting in this room that this message sounds compelling, but your heart is not right when it comes to the people that God wants to meet through you. Well, Josh, you don't know my dad. He X, Y, and Z. I don't, but God does. Bro, my wife, bro, listen, I, I don't know, but God does. What if we were to begin to fix our hearts? This organization will be full of broken people. That's what I'm looking for. That's why I, I want to pastor the people that nobody wants to see. I, I want to hug the people that people think are sick. I want to I go into the places and smell like them, but know that I'm coming out as pure gold because I fulfilled the assignment on my life going into Matthew 28, 19, all the world. Some of the world is wild. Look at your neighbor say, it's wild out there. It's, it's crazy. But you used to be in a place that was wild. So this is what I'd like to do. I'd like for you to stand to your feet if you're interested in becoming a voice for the kingdom of God in your realm. Stand up. And, and don't, don't play. I'm not talking about like, I want to be a Jesus freak. No. I know all the books of the Bible. No, that's cheesy. I'm talking about that your life would literally reverberate the love of God and the peoples who live around you, their lives would be changed. That's what the kingdom is. It's when you walk into your office space and the boss that you can't stand, that you're better than, we all know. You could do that job with your eyes closed, we know. They won't promote you, I get it. We'll talk about that in another sermon series. But what if you walked past their door every day because you got there early and you just touched their door and prayed the love of God. You know what, God? 
bless Mark this morning, that he would lead our team in Jesus' name. Tuesday, God bless Mark. I don't know what's going on. I know his, his family's going crazy. Bless him. Like, what if we started to bless the people that other people walk past? Because how many of you, you deserve to be walked past? I deserve to be walked past, but somebody named the Samaritan named Jesus said, you know what? You're not too dirty for me to use, bro. Actually, you're perfect for me to use. When Jesus came off the cross, he showed them the marks in his hands and in his sides, not just to prove that he was dead, but to show that the scars that were on his body, that he could heal them. Some of you have scars in your life because somebody passed you. You were the man that was on the road and somebody passed you and they didn't care to say, hey, can I help you? They beat you up, <laughs> took your shoes and then said, figure it out. I wanna pray a very specific prayer because before we go to the wild out there, we gotta deal with the wild parts in here. There's this wild idea that you might be thinking that there's no way that Jesus could love me. <laughs> Trust me. If he can love me and put me up here and redeem me to teach to you, oh, you good. So this is what we're gonna do. I want you to lift your hands. Lifting your hands is a sign of surrenderance. We're gonna be asking you in this church and those of you that are watching online to help us build AWC through your testimony and inviting people. But you can't invite people if your heart isn't right. So this is what I'd like for you to do. You probably pray for these people all the time. There's probably four people in your head, your mom, your auntie, your coworker. I want you to literally send them love right now. Go for it. Send them love. God, my aunt, I've tried to get her, not just to church, but I'm trying to get her to you. Lord, I just send love. I fix my heart posture. Come on, open up your mouth. I, I, I send my heart posture waves to them. And Jesus, like, I, like that I would become a better person. Come on, like I just... Let them know how much, evidently me saying it isn't working. <laughs> Come on, right there where you are. Somebody repeat that to me. Say, Father God, I thank you for being the good Samaritan. God, I thank you that when other people pass me by, they might have spit on me. They might have taken my boots. They might have beat me up, whatever it was. God, you came straight to me and you healed me. You carried me and you took care of me. Now, God, I ask that you would anoint me to go and do the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, somebody give God a shout of praise in the building. Come on, give God a shout of praise in the building. Yeah! Sorry, I'm getting excited. So listen, some of you just prayed that prayer for the first time. Listen, we have people here at our organization, here in the room and online, that we want to give you some next steps. I don't believe in people just coming to my house to eat once. Once you come to the crib two times, you got to bring a side dish. I, I don't play that. You know where the cups are. Where's the bathroom? Bro, you know, down the hall. Just look, look, look for the poopery. You'll find it, you know. But there are some of you that you've been watching for weeks. Some of you in the room, you've been watching and being a part of this for months. Why don't you just make a decision to join probably the best thing that you'll ever do, which is not this church, but join Jesus Christ. Like giving your life to him is the best decision that you've ever made in your life because it's the only one that brings hope. 
here, we have this thing called Next Steps. If you're interested in our organization, as you're walking down the hallway, they'll lead you to a place. We don't want anything from you. We just want to share the love of Jesus Christ with you, which is love, hope, dominion, and power. Is that cool? You glad you came to church today? All right, let me release you. Father God, we thank you for every single person in the room. We ask that you would carry us not just through our situation, but that you would literally break us out of it in Jesus' name. God, anoint each and every person here to literally not just invite somebody to Sunday, but invite somebody to an experience with you that they could never get anywhere else in Jesus' name. And in Jesus' name, we're going to go and do the same. In Jesus' name, everybody say what? Amen. We love you.